You know, it's rather obvious that a consumer mentality has invaded the church. Those in leadership strive to make their church as attractive as possible, and those looking for a church often go shopping to find something they like. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, brand labels mean very little today, at least when it comes to churches. There was a day when you could pretty much tell what a church would be like just by looking at its name. If it was a Christian church or a Baptist church or a Methodist church or a Catholic church, you knew what to expect before going through the door. Today, you'll probably want to find out if its worship is traditional or contemporary, whether the preaching is expository or topical, and what programs the church has to offer even before visiting. And your list of expectations and requirements may be much longer than that. And and again, that's not a bad thing. You should research a church before you commit yourself to it. You should find out where it stands on doctrinal issues and agree with the priorities that have been set by the leadership. But once you commit to a church, you really should put away your consumer mentality. The time for church shopping is over. That's not to say that you're going to like everything that goes on every Sunday or that you will always get what you hoped to receive. But if you come to church with the right attitude, and the church functions as it should, something beautiful will happen every time you come. So what should happen? And why do people come to church in the first place? Those are fundamental questions we ought to explore. And we begin by noting that people come to church for a variety of reasons, but they can pretty much be put into one of two categories. Some come to receive, and some come to give. And quite honestly, most of us come for both. We come to give and to receive, and that is a really good thing. Now, as we noted last week, we are to gather together to encourage one another and to stimulate one another to love and and good deeds. And we all need encouragement. And there are times when we all need to be stimulated into action. So mutual giving and receiving should take place whenever the church gathers. But even when someone comes only to receive something beautiful happens if they are met by those who are prepared to give. It happened 2,000 years ago at the beautiful gate. We read of it in Acts 3, 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, 
in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. A lame man came to the temple in the hopes of receiving something. And Peter and John came to the temple in hopes of giving something away. When they met and a transaction was made, God was praised. Let's take a closer look at the details of the account and see what we can learn from it this morning. We begin by acknowledging, quite simply, some came to receive. Now, the lame man's motives for coming to the temple were not high and holy. He came to beg alms. He had been lame since birth, unable to walk, and unable or unwilling to find employment. Whatever his options might have been, he survived by begging and had been doing so for years. We learn in chapter 4 that he was over 40 years old. And he had no doubt found the best place in town to beg. You know, as as we all know from the will work for food signs, you need a high traffic area if you're going to do any good. You know, a busy intersection or a public building is generally a good place. But you don't want the intersection to be where traffic is crazy and drivers are stressed out. Or a building that puts people in a bad mood. You would never try to beg in front of an IRS building. But a church or a temple, that that should be good. You know, hopefully people are in a good mood and they're feeling generous if they've come to worship. So begging outside a church should be good, even though one should not have to beg outside a church. They should be cared for inside the church. Anyway, the man had discovered he could do good if he begged at the temple. And he had claimed a spot at the base of the gate called Beautiful. Now, it's doubtful that Luke is the only one to refer to this particular gate as the Beautiful Gate, but no other references to the gate can be found in Scripture or from literature from the period. Historians have debated which gate this might be, but most believe it's Nicanor's gate 
a gate named for a man who was on the ship that transported it from Alexandria to Jerusalem when King Herod was rebuilding the temple. A fierce storm came up and put the ship in danger of sinking. The crew decided to throw the gate overboard. But Nicanor insisted that if it was thrown overboard, he would go with it. It said that the storm calmed miraculously and both were saved. Nicanor's gate was then set in the temple wall separating the outer court, the court of Gentiles, from the the first of the inner courts, the court of women. And it was a beautiful gate and a big gate. It was 75 foot tall and 60 feet wide. It was covered with Corinthian bronze, and Josephus said that it far exceeded the value of those plated with silver and set in gold. It was to this gate the lame man was taken every day. And he was on his way to this gate, being transported by family or friends, when he spotted Peter and John about to enter the temple. No doubt he knew who they were. You know, everyone who was a regular in the temple knew who they were after the events of the day of Pentecost and by their presence in the temple every day since then. So when he saw them, he began to cry out for alms. Now, apparently he wasn't so bold as to directly ask them for alms, but he obviously wanted them to hear his cry. And it's interesting that he only cried for alms. Now, maybe I better stop there. Kids, you know what alms are? I just thought, maybe I better tell you what alms are. What are alms? Who can tell the kids what alms are? Gifts what? Gifts for the needy. All right, asking for money. All right? All right, I should have identified that sooner. All right. He didn't ask for a miracle. He asked for alms. Now, James and John had been performing miracles in the temple since Pentecost, but he didn't even ask for that. All he wanted was some money. He cried out for money, hoping they would hear him. They did. They heard him. And Peter said, look at us. And they locked eyes. And he figured he had scored a hit. You know, everyone knows that if you don't want to put anything in the kettle... You avoid eye contact with a bell ringer, in case you didn't know that. (laughs) But they locked eyes, and he assumed he was going to be given a coin. Peter, however, didn't give him what he expected. He gave him something he had not asked for, something that went beyond anything he had even hoped to receive. But let's stop here for a moment and reflect. Here was a man who came to the temple hoping to have what he perceived as his needs met. He came looking for compassionate people who would give him money. He came to receive. And lots of people come to church to receive. In fact, we all do. We come for fellowship. We come for encouragement, we come to learn, we come to be inspired by the music, we come to partake of the Lord's Supper. 
We come to have our spiritual needs met. But if we come only to receive, we're bound to go away disappointed at least part of the time. You know, I'm sure the lame man had found some days better than others when he counted up his coins. And some days go better than others in church. You know, someone will unintentionally or intentionally slight us. We'll hear something that discourages us. The sermon will seem like the same old, same old. The music will fail to move us or we'll spill grape juice on our pants. Some days nothing seems to go right. And you'll go away from church thinking, I just didn't get anything out of that service today. The best way to keep that from happening is to come not only to receive, but also even primarily to give. And in our account, it's apparent some came to give. Peter and John were on their way to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The time for evening prayer and the burning of incense. But Luke does not say why they were going to the temple. It's possible they were just following their Jewish practice of worship while in Jerusalem. And in Luke 24, we read that after the ascension and while they were waiting for the Spirit to come upon them, they were continually in the temple praising God. So they may have simply gone there to praise God. But I've got a feeling they were there for another reason as well. It was in the temple that the first gospel sermon was preached. And 3,000 Jews accepted Christ. And the temple was the logical place to go if you were hoping to engage people in religious dialogue. Whatever their primary reason for being there, they weren't so into themselves that they failed to notice someone in need. When they heard the man's cry for alms, they didn't pretend not to hear it. Nor did they turn and hurry out the door. They looked at him and told him to look to them. They wanted him to turn to them for help. No would that the church might cry, look to us, when the world cries for help today. Not that we would or could give everyone what they think they need, but surely we could give them what they really need. The man thought Peter and John We're going to give him money. But Peter said he didn't have silver and gold. Now, no doubt he did have some. But he certainly didn't have enough to meet this man's financial need. But he did have something of immense value to give to him. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Now, that's a stupid thing. Whoops. My grandkids aren't supposed to say that word, are they? That's a silly thing to say to a 40-year-old who has never walked. Can't you imagine those carrying him saying, well, he can't walk. You know, that's why we're carrying him. And apparently he thought, 
huh? He just sat there, dumbfounded. This guy said, walk. Until Peter reached out, took the man's hand, and helped him to his feet. Immediately, Dr. Luke reports the man's feet and ankles were strengthened, and he knew it because he leaped up and began walking. But he didn't just walk for long. As they headed into the temple together, he was soon walking and leaping and praising God. Now, we used to sing a song about that. Do the kids still sing that? They don't? Uh, some of you old kids, you remember that? Walking and, oh well, anyway. It's a great song. You know it, don't you? All right. That's what he was doing. He was excited. He couldn't, he couldn't believe what had happened. He couldn't believe he'd been healed. He couldn't contain his excitement. He had come to the temple to receive, and he had met a couple of men who had come to give, and something extraordinary had happened. Let me suggest that something extraordinary always happens in church. When those who come to receive are met by those who have come to give. Now those who come to receive may not always receive what they hoped to get. And those who come to give can't give something they don't have. You know, none of us have been given the power to miraculously heal as did the apostles. They had been given that power to authenticate the good news they were declaring and could therefore offer healing to selected individuals. We can't do that. We haven't been given that power. The gospel has long ago been authenticated, so there's no need for sign miracles to affirm that what we're saying is true. But we have been given much to share with those who come. First and foremost, we can share a sense of worship, of worship. You know, if we've come to give God glory and praise, if we've come to bow before him in sincerity and in honest worship, we will get people's thoughts off themselves and onto God. If we've come to sing praises to our Lord and, and, and do it from the heart, we can give a song to those who need it. If we've come mindful of the needs of others, our prayers will touch lives and open hearts up to God. And if we've come looking for opportunities to encourage the fallen, and bind up the broken, we'll find them. And when we do, God will be praised. As he was, when all the people saw the man walking and leaping and praising God. You can't help but notice a changed life. And the people couldn't ignore a lame man leaping for joy. Isaiah had spoken of a time when the lame would leap like a deer, and it was happening. The people were filled with wonder and amazement. And as we'll soon see, Peter was able to point them to Jesus 
as the source of the miracle and to the scriptures that were being fulfilled. As a result, many who heard the message believed, and the number of believers went from 3,000 to 5,000. God was praised when those who came to receive had their needs met through the faith of those who had come to give. And the same can happen today. But in order for that to happen, we need more than just some coming to receive and some coming to give. Those who come with needs have to let their needs be known. You know, if the lame man hadn't cried out for help, if he had pretended everything was okay, like some people think they're supposed to do when they come to church, Peter and John would never have noticed them in the crowd that day. And those who come to give through worship, through music, through teaching, through tithes and offerings, and even through an encouraging word, must be willing to listen for the cries of distress and look for signs of need. And then be willing to address them by taking hold of a hand, lifting someone up, and walking with them until they are walking and leaping and praising God. If we will do that, beautiful things will take place every time we come into the house of God. Those who come to receive will receive more than they dreamed possible. And those who come to give will know the joy of sharing Christ and his love with others. If together we turn our eyes upon Jesus, all our needs will be met. And if you've come with a need this morning, let it be known. Let it be known. And then let us share with you the one who could meet that need, whatever it might be. Something beautiful can take place when we gather on the Lord's Day. When together, we look really not just at each other, but ultimately look to Jesus. Let's turn our eyes on him this morning. Let's stand.